the ultimate reason why I essentially went to bet on myself was that I realized like I, I couldn't really fit in those circumstances. So I started looking for ways to, I suppose, make money, make a career out of non-traditional work environments. Today's guest is Dan McDermott, who has a fascinating story. At 22, he almost went to law school, but changed his mind after taking an LSAT prep course where the instructor said he'd help him to get the highest score, but don't go to law school because you'll have lots of debt and you won't get to practice the type of law you really want. Dan interviewed lawyers before applying to law school and they confirmed his worst fears, so he scratched that idea. He's a global citizen who has lived and worked all over the world. He was born and bred to work at the United Nations. He did get a job there, but he immediately hated it. He felt stuck in the office while the real work was in the field. He started a side project installing solar lights in one of the refugee camps. Immediately, he saw the effects of his work and wanted to do more. Later, he started several businesses a lighting company, a restaurant, and several website projects. From those experiences, he learned that he was missing some basics about business. So he reached out to the top entrepreneurs wherever he was. One of those experiences involved helping a brewery owned by monks increase their sales. Behind the scenes, he learned how to sell, manage people, and operate a business. Dan is also a longtime futures trader. He's currently the lead copywriting coach at Copywriting Course and is the CMO at Voris, where he helps companies build sales teams. Thank you for joining us at the MeBet. We appreciate you being here. Thanks, Erica. It's great to be here. Great to, uh, great to speak to you about some of this stuff. Great. So let's dive in. Why did you decide to bet on yourself? Uh, so interesting point that I don't think we've actually ever talked about before, but I have a, a little bit of a, I guess you'd qualify it as a disability. I have a sleep disorder that has massively shifted sort of what I was able to do um, just physically. And um, if you go back to myself in high school and even the, maybe the first year of college or so, I was an athlete, was, uh, very much in shape, very active. And um, when I got hit with the sleep disorder, it's called narcolepsy. You might have seen it in a couple of uh, goofy movies out there because it is it is quite a, a funny thing. I get why my friends like laughing at me, but uh, it'll have it's this thing where you just don't sleep properly at night. Uh, your sleep cycles are all sort of messed up. You never get proper rest. And then mm -hmm. what happens is during the day, uh, your body just shuts down consistently and you will essentially fall asleep. It's like, imagine if you just don't sleep for a few days straight, how are you going to feel? Now imagine right. that every day. <laughs> and uh, you will wow. fall asleep at random points. Um, so aside from being the butt of a few jokes with my friends and which I'm, again, I, I'm happy to talk <laughs> about that stuff. It, it, it is kind of funny. Uh, but with an office job, that is very difficult. Uh, these yeah. days, it's a little bit easier. I mean, I'm 37. This is now I'm, I'm pushing you know, almost 20 years in the workforce. Um, and nowadays, like having a nap pod or like, you know, taking naps in the, at the workspace and it, it whatnot is a little bit more acceptable. But yeah. back then, I mean, this is going back to like, you know, 2000 and I graduated uh, undergrad in 2007. 
uh, back then it was seen as a very big no-no and especially the companies I wanted to work at, you know, these yeah. big organizations like the UN or some of the, even uh, some of the private sector places I was looking at, including some of those big law firms. Uh, yeah. That's probably a no-go if you see a guy sleeping at the sleeping at his desk or mm-hmm. falling asleep during meetings. Um, you know, what kind of stuff does that communicate about you? So I was yeah. very self-conscious about that. And um, despite, you know, I've always had an excellent sort of track record, uh, whether it's work or, or academia, like I, I'm always in the top of the top. But <laughs> when you at the end of the day, I look like the bottom of the bottom if I'm just, you know, crashing all the time. And it, yeah. it also has a major effect on the quality of the work you've produced. So right. I realized early on that, and you know, just to, to give you a dramatic example, um, I had to go take naps in the in like in the toilet stalls, and uh, that that was how I was I was kind wow. of avoiding stuff, and it was um, it was it was really tough. And the the ultimate reason why I essentially went to bet on myself was that I realized like I, I couldn't really fit in those circumstances. So I started mm-hmm. looking for ways to I suppose make money, make a career out of non traditional work environments, non-traditional mm-hmm. work hours, non-traditional, um, you know, where I could really um, not be judged on some of that stuff. Right. And, um, ironically, you know, uh, 20 years later, I um, I have a much better handle on things where I, I take a daily nap and then I'm, I'm good to go. Like it's, it's, there's no problems, but you know, when you get treated for this kind of thing, you're also hopped up on all kinds of drugs. You're on Ambien mm-hmm. at night, you're on this, you know, modafinil during the day. And right. uh, it's what they give the army for the snipers to like stay super alert. So if you can imagine yourself, oh being, wow, <laughs> uh, you know, wired on coffee. I mean, that's nothing compared to. <laughs> compared to <laughs> so all this stuff uh, aside, I felt like this whole thing was kind of ruining my life, and yeah. I just sort of took a whole step back from it. I took a whole step back from all the drugs, all the medications, all mm-hmm. this other stuff, and I just sort of said, like, look, I know I can do some great work, but I've got to do stuff that's active, and I've got to, I've got to be able to just basically be able to take naps if I have to. Right. Um, so yeah, that's essentially the main reason why. But then I think there's another uh, layered reason here, if you don't mind me uh, talking for a little bit more here. Go right uh, ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. I think coming out of undergrad, we have a problem in the US with not knowing what we are going to do at the age of, you know, whatever we, we graduate, 20, 21, whatever, yes. 22, however old you are. Mm-hmm. Coming, out of, coming out of liberal arts, at least for me. Um, right. I, majored in international relations, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, and uh, minored in Arabic. What am I going to do with that? Um, I could do anything with that, which is, that's beautiful. But at the same time, it's very difficult when you're trying to make life decisions and you don't have any experience doing anything of, of, of note. You know, my experience was, again, academia, research papers getting published. Right. Now, that's that's not real, real world stuff. So um, I think the combination of that, my own personal challenges, plus a lack of structure, you know, the, the natural thing was that everybody, um, you know, I had uh, very close with my parents who so have a great relationship, but that was a very, very tough moment for all of us. I think when they sort of said, well, the obvious next step for you has to be law school, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can write, I can uh, I, academically decently sharp, uh, well, lawyer, right? And uh, yeah. they don't tell you about the day to day. They don't tell you about the money. They don't tell you about anything yeah, right. of the, the practicalities of the real job, basically. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting an interesting failure I would say because if you if you were able to communicate a little bit more clearly uh, I mean you uh, the world the industry was set up uh, where you could say very clearly hey look if you want to be a tax professional, a tax lawyer uh, specifically, let's say, this is what the job actually looks like on a day-to-day basis. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned that I went off and started interviewing uh, interviewing some lawyers around me. I was in uh, Washington DC at the time and I 
let me give you a little bit of context if you don't mind, Erica. Like just go to, right ahead. Um, day one of this LSAT course, the instructor walked in and he goes, um, hey guys, um, so you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm one of the tutors here. Uh, we all had to score 180s on multiple tests to get mm -hmm. here, including our real test, which I did. I went to, I can't remember, I think you know, he went to Georgetown, that's right. And um, and I want to let you know that I can help you get that, you know, the top score, but don't go to law school. Mm -hmm. you know, like you said it like that on day one. And it was kind of shocking for all of us to hear, especially after we'd signed up for right. know, a nice chunk of change. Right, uh, exactly. That's not cheap. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and it was very interesting. He went through a very practical example where he just said, like, look, I worked for IBM before mm -hmm. and I was making good money and I wanted to prove to other people how smart I was when somebody kind of said like, hey, you know, I, you know, these double, these double, you know, uh, a JD MBA, you know, these double sort of majors yes. like that. Mm -hmm. Somebody had had one of those, brought it up at a party and he said, oh, but I should have one of those because I'm smart too. And uh, he did that, went down that road. And he basically pointed out, he's like, look, he pulled up this, this incredible chart, which I will never forget. It's a double bell curve of mm -hmm. the average starting salaries uh, for lawyers. And um, it, it's, it's, you know, a double bell. So on the, the right-hand side, the right curve, uh, that the median uh, price of, uh, of that curve was, uh, I think, $125,000. It's mm -hmm. the, you know, corporate law. It's, it's uh, you know, you'd probably have to go to one of the, was the T9 top nine schools, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, that was, I guess, the path that many of us thought of money-wise, but then okay. the other bell curve, the median salary was um, was 45,000. And we all sort of looked at that and that was like basically public defense, that was environmental law, that was yep. a lot of those sort of things that a lot of us, especially as like, you know, uh, uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 22-year-olds, uh, yep. uh, <laughs> that's where we sort of thought of ourselves going. Yeah. Suddenly looking at the money, he goes, guys, I am so far in debt. And the only job I can get in DC is I'm working for an environmental lobby. And this is not the work that I was that I was supposed to be doing. I was right. much happier at IBM. And he, mm -hmm. he did eventually go back to tech. But okay. it was a very, very sobering thing. Um, wow. And so after after that experience with him, I went off and started interviewing some of the lawyers around me, got some you know introductions from friends of friends, from my, um, my I guess, my family, uh, a few different places. And then uh, I just went and visited their offices and I just sort of, yeah. you know, I talked to them obviously about their job, but I also just kind of looked at the people working at the offices. Yeah. And look, I think some people are, I have, a, I have a cousin who's a lawyer who's built for this stuff. Who's just brilliant. Who's, he's a great fit for the job that he does. Mm -hmm. And he would be thrilled in that kind of environment. But, uh, yeah. but for me, I looked around and I saw a lot of people with a lot of paper on their desks and a lot of people did not look very happy. A lot of stress. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So that's another reason why I sort of said, eh, maybe there's something else. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate to that. I had that experience after my first year of law school during that summer internship. And I was like, oh yeah, this is not what I want to be doing for 80 hours a week. So I, I, mean, I totally get that. I, I had the same experience when I went to the UN, you know, like, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, you know, and you can argue that I might've gone to the wrong agency because there's many UN agencies out there that do much, much, let's say more practical work than the one that I worked at. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't want to ju necessarily just take a total uh, negative spin on, on, on UN jobs. Uh, you know, there are ones that are far more field oriented than, than the office that I joined, mm -hmm. but um, I had that same, I could, I experienced that from day one, you know, I walked in the office and I, I thought, oh my God, this is not the job that I, I expected yeah. at all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. What would you say 
is the business challenge that has taught you the most about yourself? I think it's an interesting question. I think for me, uh, at one point, I had a restaurant in um, in Montreal, mm-hmm. and um, we were having trouble getting some butts in seats and getting just drumming up interest. We had, and you know, that was the first time that I was really involved with a business where all the all the the things were handed to me essentially there. The mm. location was there. The equipment was there. Mm-hmm. The chef was there. The team was there. Everything was perfect, but no sales were coming in. Uh, so what do we do? So and there was no marketing in place? Not really. Prior to no. it? Okay. There's just, there was just kind of like, you know, random friends of friends trying to do stuff, you know, and a lot of young, a lot of young dudes specifically, which is okay. like, you know, if you can imagine that energy, like, oh man, we got to go promote this at a club. and uh, that's not really how things are going to fly right um so for me getting getting out of my comfort zone a little bit and Mm -hmm. just starting to just knock on doors and not just any doors but like just knock down every damn door around us where you could you know all the residential buildings i mean the amount all the office buildings you know Mm -hmm. uh, everybody who's food oriented you know trying to network with all the other chefs and and uh, and and restaurant owners in in town yeah the amount of effort that that took uh, was mind-boggling, and at the end, I, I suppose it didn't really uh, end brilliantly. I mean, we spent, survived for a few years, but um, so it wasn't necessarily a success story that I would really point to and say, "Oh, look at how, how wonderful this was." But we did do enough to get off the ground, and mm-hmm. that moment for me was was very important because everything I, I tried before then was very cerebral and very much like, "Well, then this would happen, and then then after you do mm-hmm. X, then Y comes, then you know." And right. um, this was much more like guys, we have everything. Why aren't people coming in and mm-hmm. just getting out there, grabbing people from the street, shaking hands, waving. Um, and, and that was, that was the moment also that I kind of realized was like, Oh, you know what? I kind of love sales too. Mm. So something okay. I, I grew up in a household where sales was a, a dirty word. So this was also another <laughs> big, uh, big thing for me to sort of get my, my head wrapped around, which is very tough. While we laud entrepreneurship in the U S we also, sort of trash sales and yes. uh, and I get it salesiness and, and that's a know, dirty word <laughs> exactly so th- it's a it's an interesting dichotomy but anyway that's, that's a separate separate topic I suppose yeah but you know when when you think about it every business no matter what it is it involves sales in some way because you're going to need customers clients whatever coming to you you know no matter how you phrase it it's still sales at the end of the day which is you know that's another reason why Going back to that practicality argument coming out of college, um, I, I make the argument like, do I really need to have a published research paper at, at, at 21? Do I? I mean, I, I don't think so. Uh, but do I need some sales experience? Do I need some? And I think this is stuff that, you know, maybe a generation ago, people did a little bit more naturally where internships weren't just like the internships with like this, you know, strategically the best of the four top, you know, yeah. corporations in America about this. And I'm going to go through... And look, if you if you end up in one of those managerial sort of paths, it's great. But uh, and I, I do have a couple of friends who are who are in uh, spaces in VC and in, in oil who who've gone through those things and have great careers. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, though, I would make the argument that having some sort of real world skill, like mm-hmm. sales, applies to all businesses. Yeah, um, recognizing some of your soft stuff, like you know, especially for somebody coming out of you know liberal arts, uh, do you know how to? Do you know how to make friends? Do you know how to open doors? Do you know how to network? Do you know how to do these things? And if you don't, a lot of people graduate, very smart people graduate relying on books. And then suddenly they realize, oh, wait a minute, I need, I need something of value to a business owner that I can explain easily and simply. Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent point. 
That really is. That's an excellent point. What have you done that you're the most proud of? Oh, geez. Um, hmm. I think a couple things. I, I've dug myself out of some pretty bad holes. I, I, um, I lost everything twice. And both times I was able to recover um, relatively smoothly within let's say, say a couple of years, which is still a long time, but mm -hmm. coming out of those holes, um, which, you know, I was responsible for, I was the one to put myself in those holes in the first place, but, um, coming out of them was, um, was an experience like none other because it, it teaches you that, you know, basically you're unstoppable. If you really, yeah. if you really put yourself, uh, you know, in, in the right kind of, you surround yourself with the right people, with the right mm -hmm. opportunities, with the right, whatever, but, um, and I don't mean that as like a, Hey, look at me, I'm unstoppable. I'm so cool. Right. Uh, but rather, okay. I'm sober, uh, to the realities of the world where it's, it's okay. I, I know that nothing is ever, ever guaranteed. So you're yes. never, there's no finish line. Okay. Yep. So that, that was an important thing I had to learn then. Okay. Hey, threats, vulnerabilities could come up at any moment. Uh, the restaurant was a great metaphor for that because, mm -hmm. you know, one day there's construction across the street. Guess what? The entire block is shut down. No access, no road access to the street, no walking traffic in front of us. Mm -hmm. We don't, can't make any money that week. What the heck's going on? So yeah. things like that would uh, would come up. And I think coming out of that, you learn, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about how to be tough um, when it comes to, yeah, I guess building... Uh, building survivability around you. Mm -hmm. um, I'm proud that I came out of that with that ability. Um, and I feel very good about where I'm at now. I feel much, much better. I mean, I've, I've had nights where I've cried myself to sleep because of this mm -hmm. kind of stuff I've had. Yeah. And it's a, it's, it's, it's awful thinking back to those times, but at the same time, I'm never going to forget them. And I think right. that that's, that's an important thing for, I think most entrepreneurs end up with that, that get somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of projects, I still have this lingering, uh, lingering project uh, sort of concept around the refugee camps that I want to go back to. Okay. I, I'm, I can't claim to be proud of anything around that because I haven't really finished anything there ever. It's always been sort of half done. But mm. the the idea in my head is to go back there at some point and finish off a couple of these very kind of low tech, uh, kind of self self led or uh, development projects that I. I have a particular passion for, and it's just mm -hmm. been a long time since I've been back and, and, and working in that environment. So I will be proud of that one day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What does success feel like to you? A lot of people say, what does success look like? Right. And I think many people automatically attach money to success um, or things, physical things to success. But what does it feel like to it's you? It's a great question. Great. I love this question. This is a, a super. So let me just, let me just preface this with, I do think that I would always, I always had these other definitions of success. Like for example, yes, there, there's the money aspect. There's the, there's the maybe peer recognition, you know, in your industry, uh, you know, so there's, there's markers out there that they are traditional that I do think are valuable. Like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you do need to have money. It's, it's, uh, it's silly to, to imagine, you know, otherwise um, you do need to have well, you don't need to have peer recognition, but it helps a lot in, in any industry. If you start mm -hmm. to become, you know, uh, reputable and people start to send you business or, or even just respect you. Mm -hmm. um, and again, not necessarily just for ego's sake, but like, that's how your business can grow. That's how people can, you know, pick up books that you write, for example, or whatever right. you're doing. But in terms of feeling, I have a very specific feeling that I would, again, I think the 
the peer recognition, the money, um, the stability, maybe uh, all feed into this, but the feeling I would say is a very cold, very calm, but very deep confidence mm. where at the end of the day, I'm at a point now, for example, in my career, where if if everything blows up and I, I lose everything tomorrow, let's say mm. that I lose my job, let's say that you know, I, I shut down my, my consultancy last year, um, but I know exactly how to bring that back up. I know mm -hmm. exactly how to, you know, let's say that, that you know, um, my job disappears. I know what I would do next. I know, mm -hmm. I know that I don't know everything, but I also know that I would land on my feet. And I, aside from a genuine health challenge coming up or a gen, you know, something like that, right. I, I, I really see a, like I said, a deep confidence with, that's not kind of like, I, I think very up emotions are just as damaging as very down emotions. And I would, mm -hmm. the, the way that I, I'm probably uh, describing this poorly, but I see this little sort of band in, in the middle where it's like, do you feel rationally, deeply confident about what you're doing and what you what your next step should be? Not necessarily steps 10 through 20, but like, hey, do I know the next couple of steps that I'm going to take? If it's right. a yes, uh, then frankly, you're unstoppable. Yeah. I like the way you phrase that. And okay. do you think too that, those prior two experiences of losing everything kind of help you to also reach that certain level of calmness and resiliency that you now have. Absolutely, hundred percent, and yeah. not just the the over because those experiences were more like kind of like uh, several months at a time of of deep struggle of mm -hmm. uh so it, it's it's tough to kind of boil it down because there's so many emotions that go into that it's almost like you know the 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 various stages of, of grief and you know there's anger there's denial there's the right. all kinds of stuff but um it, i would almost kind of connect it back to moments mm -hmm. and i had a moment i remember where uh, my partner at the restaurant who is um a guy i i, I value incredibly I, I think he's you know a, a brilliant dude but he um I remember I was complaining one day, we, we'd had a bad day and I was complaining about something and I was, I, I was, you can call it venting, but I was really just complaining. And at one point he just sort of snapped, which is not his style at all. He's a very, very nice guy. And he sort of snapped at me and he sort of goes, yeah, okay. But, um, you know, what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit there and, you know, effing cry about it? Mm -hmm. And I, I think back to that, that little, I was burned in my head, the way he said it, I it was, a, it was a very healthy sort of kick in the butt for me. And I sort of went, stepped back and said, you know what? You're right. Like, what, what good is this doing? What, like, yes, it's a terrible situation. I've identified that. I'm not an idiot. I can see, I can see this in front of me, but what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. So that was a, the, an example of a little moment that, that, you know, to me is like, okay, in future modes where I'm inevitably going through a tough moment, which is going to happen in the future, mm -hmm. I'm down on things. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling, you know, sorry for myself. That little moment's going to come back up in my head. And I'm going to remember, you know, my buddy turning to me and go, well, what are you going to do? You're just going to sit there and cry about it. Yeah. And uh, the way he said it, he said it with some venom. You can feel it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's lots of little moments like that that I've had where I can think back to, you know, I, I mentioned the crying myself to sleep thing. I mean, I, I, that's, that's a memory I'm never going to let go. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I mean, you know me, Eric. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I would say a largely positive guy. I'm, yes, I'm a, you I'm are. A bit of a goof. Uh, so <laughs> I don't, I don't often get very down. Um, yeah. But it's important to remember those times and yeah. not necessarily, you know, they're part of you. And um, yeah, you shouldn't, I, I don't think you should, you should let them go necessarily. You should uh, forgive, not forget in a sense. Right. 
Right, right, right. And I think it probably may have also prepared you for uncertainty as you move forward in your life. Like if you say, okay, if I lost everything today, you know, where would I, how would I start up again? Right. Like, so you are in a sense prepared and you can almost, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost embrace that kind of uncertainty, but it's not completely uncertain because you're like, okay, I have these skills to be able to restart, move on in a different way that may be better for you or, or whatever the case may be, right? Totally. And, you know, I, I think, think about a couple of our friends, Erica, like there, there's, there's the folks who we know who have never started a business before or who have never really gone out on their own, mm-hmm. but they they spend years like on the edge. They they have a good job usually, or they have something where there's some comfort, but they're like, oh, one day I'm going to, I'm going to start something. One day yeah. I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. That person, when they do it, no matter how much planning they go through, they are not going to, well, 99.9% probability that they are not going to succeed right off the bat or that they yeah. are going to go through some, a lot of growing pains. Yes. Whereas if you compare it to the, the people who have already gone through uh, the ringer, uh, you know, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. with with their experiences in life and business, trying this, failing, trying that, failing, trying yeah. this, failing, or even trying this and just like mediocre success where, you know, it's, it's still disappointing. Those people, I would venture to guess, are much more likely to succeed in the future because they, as long as they're learning from, you know, right. from their experiences. And I think, you know, the, the, especially there's one guy this year who's been so good at executing stuff. Yes. That, uh, you know, that type of execution, that doesn't come around uh, first time. It comes, yeah. just, it, you can see him working through his own personal struggles too, mm-hmm. with his own personal blockers, but he, he knows about them. And that, yeah. that's the difference. I think that self-awareness is the difference between a first-time entrepreneur uh, versus somebody who is, um, who's got some experience going through uh, the, the process a few times. Right. I, I totally agree. And I think also the act of putting in the reps, right? Like, yes knowing that, okay, I'm going to put the work in, not really knowing what's going to happen. Of course, we all want it to be successful, right? We don't want to feel like, oh, I'm doing this and, you know, it doesn't provide any real reward at the end, but you have to put in the reps because most of the time it's not your first run out. It's not going to be successful. Exactly. You know, exactly. Do you do anything to prevent burnout? Like to make sure that like, Oh my gosh! I have all of these projects on my desk. I, I'm I'm being pulled in all these different directions. Do you do anything to make sure that you are not emotionally burned out? And if so, what is it? What do you do uh, to help you with that? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I probably don't have the healthiest answer for this, but I do have I do have a, a couple of things that I do. Um, and I'll, I'll just quickly, um, and, and then I'll, I'll give you a little context as, as, as to as to why I just said what I said. What I do to prevent burnout is uh, I surround myself with uh, family and friends who I love, mm-hmm. and usually they're a good check on me because I I do work too hard. I do work and not necessarily smart. I just you know, and I'm not saying I work. Look at how hard I work. I, I usually do too much. I usually I'm you know uh, overly uh, you know running around like a headless chicken. Um, so. And that does very easily lead to burnout. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I journal, mm-hmm. um, journal very seriously, and it's a, it's a thing where I've, I still struggle with this, but I am learning um, to try to look at the day as a net positive if I've accomplished something specific. And so I have, I have my daily stuff sort of set out, 
And even if that thing doesn't go well, or even if the result doesn't come through, at least if I've done the the, the step in the process, you know, these process oriented goals, mm-hmm. then um, then I should feel like today's a success. Mm-hmm. Um, good to go. Um, I did burn out heavily once, and mm-hmm. that was my first private sector job coming back to the to the states. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's going to be a lot of talk about me crying. I feel like on this podcast, which is funny <laughs> because I'm. I'm uh, <laughs> We want to hear it all. We want to hear it all. (laughs) I remember coming back. I used to take the train from Santa Fe to Albuquerque. Beautiful, beautiful ride. A slow moving train uh, with with Wi-Fi and everything. And Mm -hmm. literally the most gorgeous countryside in the U.S. Yeah, Uh, I love Albuquerque. It's it's this incredible, you know, incredible, incredible commute, basically, that that I had. It's an Mm -hmm. hour, 45 minute, hour long train ride. Um, And I, but I would get on the train super early. I'd work. Mm-hmm. I'd get to the house in Albuquerque that we were renting, you know, with this little startup and work. And then I'd come back and work uh, on the train ride back. And mm-hmm. so I'd be leaving, you know, like five, six in the morning. I'd, I'd be back by like, you know, maybe feel like maybe seven or eight, uh, depending, maybe, maybe the last train was a little bit earlier, five or six. But by, by the time I come home, I still had hours of work and I just work, work, work nonstop. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point coming back on the train ride and feeling that like my, uh, I, I thought I'd spilled something on my computer and, uh, I look oh, down no. and my hands are wet. I go, oh my god! Like you know, because I often have, like as you can see, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a coffee over here. I have you know, yeah. a water over here. So I often have. And so I thought, oh my, did I spill something on myself on the computer? Oh no, <laughs> the computer's gonna break. And then uh, I look down and realize that it's uh, it's <laughs> it's like a crazy amount of tears. Oh and, uh, no! And uh, I'm not even like I'm not even oh, like wow. ah, you know right. kind of, like sobbing like that. I'm just I'm just sitting there like normal normal face just to me naturally coming down <laughs> just just flowing down and uh so i must have looked like an absolute psychopath but then once i <laughs> once i saw that i was like oh no something's wrong like yeah. my body's breaking in here yeah um, but uh on, on that uh this is gonna this is very me specific so i'm not sure how useful this is for your listeners but um, i just want to share this for me sleep has been a central part of my life and mm. learning to do certain things while i sleep is um has has been is going to sound very woo woo again not usually me but you know um, oh, maybe it is who knows but <laughs> the uh, the, uh, the idea of learning to de-stress while you sleep is very very important yes, yes. So, and I actually think that my sleep is also connected to like a lot of OCD and whatnot that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. the um, so in my dreams I will often if I'm starting to get stressed out I have specific dreams that I will kind of run through that will almost uh, metaphorically remove uh physical markers of stress from my body so there's a silly this is so out there but like i'll have a dream where there's these kind of little needles coming out of my fingertips uh, that and as i take them out you know it's a it's a very weird feeling uh and narcolepsy is full of these interesting things where your your nervous system is still active while you're dreaming which is crazy but when i wake up in the morning i go from having been stressed out for weeks and just building stress to Mm -hmm. suddenly completely free and completely relaxed and it's almost become like a like a major defense barrier for me uh, mentally which is mm. an odd thing that i don't think anybody else could ever relate to but <laughs> it's just uh yeah, i thought i'd share do you have a special routine that helps you with your sleep 100 percent. i think that we teach our our little children how to sleep very very well often we give them bedtime stories mm-hmm. we help if you think about a lot of bedtime routines for for little kids the traditional stuff like for example um I know for me, like I, I grew up in a, a quite a Catholic household and like, you know, bedtime prayer was like a, like a, a an important part of my childhood. And, you know, the, this, what does that really do? It, like, it, 
it, it's it's a way to end the day on a positive note, essentially, mm -hmm. and a little bit of gratitude. Yeah. So say, you know, at the end of the prayers, whatever prayers you're running through, at the end of the day, say, oh, you know, and I'm thankful for uh, mom and dad, and I'm thankful for, you know, my best friend, Jimmy, and I'm, you know, right. it's a way to end the day with a little bit of gratitude with, and ground yourself in real relationships with the people around you. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, one of the things, one of the like silly little hacks that, that I've gone back to is uh, telling myself a bedtime story every night uh, mentally. It's a meditation routine, essentially. So nice. um, I think that Calm and Headspace and a few of these have some good stories to listen to, but I would encourage everybody to just make theirs, make their own one up. Like what mm -hmm. is, what is a, is people like to trash people's mental routines left and right. Like, you know, some people like to work on like manifestation routines. At the end of the day, these are all the same thing. It is yourself trying to put a, get yourself into a relaxed and positive state by focusing on the things that you around you, either that you want or that you appreciate, I would I would suggest that gratitude is much more powerful than than ambition, mm -hmm. and um, and then what that does for the body is incredible. It puts you in a in a happier state. It puts yeah. you in a more calm state, and um, it helps you remove some of the stress that is inevitably building up in your subconscious. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's probably even more important for people who are just starting out on their entrepreneurial journey because there's going to be a lot of stress. You know, there's going to be a lot coming at them. They're going to feel overwhelmed. But I think what you said, you know, in the sense of you have to de-stress your body before you sleep. That's so important. You know, I, I think it's also very important to know know yourself. Like, what, what do you respond to? Like, some people want to be left alone. Some people shouldn't be left alone. You know, like yeah. I, I'm not, I'm the kind of person where I started to shut off in those, in those couple of dark periods that I, that I've mentioned, I, I was so embarrassed by them really, which is, which is silly. Nobody really, you know, my, my, my friends love me. They, they know they're not going to care. They, if anything, they want to help. Right. But Absolutely. I was so embarrassed by, by failure and by loss that I, I started shutting myself off from these relationships that are, you know, the nearest and dearest to my heart. I look, I literally moved off to these remote places just to escape everybody. That's not healthy. That's not good. Like I mm -hmm. should have been talking to people. If I could go back in those moments and just be like, you know, to tell myself, you know, you know, hey buddy, what are you doing here? Like, let's, <laughs> let's have a, how about you, you go give, give the guys a call and just let them, let them, uh, you know, uh, rag on you a little and like, you know, whatever it is, like, let's just, let's just have, bring it down a notch. Um, yeah. so I, I do think it's important to know yourself. So for me, I like stand up comedy. I, mm. uh, if I'm feeling kind of stressed out, I'll take a break from stuff. Um, I like, I like taking walks. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I haven't done that recently, to be honest. I'm here freezing Colorado, but <laughs> I like getting out. I like taking walks. I like uh, stand up comedy from time to time. I watch pretty much like very stupid, bad horror movies and comedy movies. And then I know that those two things help change my mental state a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I like surrounding myself with people like yourself, you know, like the people who I know Thanks. that I can speak to regularly, who very positive, very, very just warm people that, that you know, we're very similar, you and me. And I think yeah. that there's, that's an important thing to hold on to. Like who else is out there like us? Um, yeah. We have a couple other friends who we speak to from time to time who I think fit the, fit the bill. That's a, I always come away from those conversations feeling energized, feeling a little bit less Absolutely. bad about the bad stuff, better about the good stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's mm -hmm. important to build those things around yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you either. Absolutely. So do you think that's the one tip that you would give people who are starting on their me bet journey is to surround yourself with people who can be encouraging, but also kind of give you a little nudge when you, when you need it? I would say there's there's two fundamentals. Number one is yes, that like yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's that's the first pillar, is to um, 
and maybe that's people and maybe maybe that's that's other things I'm, I'm not sure but but have something where it's not just yourself you know lost in a in a, in a ball of stress and in this kind of downward spiral mm-hmm. um because it's such a common thing that people go through and, and it's, it's very avoidable and, and it hurts and it, it really kind yeah. of stays with you for for two it's not healthy right. but then the second thing is look i i would i would be very clear like there's a financial component of this too like the you want to talk like this goes back to stress again maybe this whole mm-hmm. thing is, is comes back to stress at least for me but i don't quit your day job you know make sure that you're doing something where you are proving the financial aspect of this thing i don't care if it's a dream i don't care if it's a if it's you know something that is going to save the world i really don't care it, it, you could do something that has no value to anybody else in the world you could be doing something that has a ton of value to a lot of people in the world uh, at the end of the day, it is not going to work if you are not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And part of that means financially, can you pay your bills? Right. Or are you going to start stealing from the project? Are you, you know, um, and that, that I think is the most common reason why people fail is that they they don't they don't have a realistic expectation of of, of the money uh, practicals and the the extra you know uh, right. ancillary stress stressors. Um, so yeah, I think those two things, I, I would, I'd be very careful about money and what it will do to you if you screw it up. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, what, what are you doing as defense mechanisms to basically to stay happy? Yeah, those are two great tips. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you ch- chatting with us today. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about you and support you? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, so, um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan McD me. So it's a D A N M C D M E. And uh, you can also find my website at uh, danmcd.me. And um, otherwise, um, yeah, I'm uh, on LinkedIn. I'm on all the socials and uh, uh, you can find me pretty easily. I think uh, if, you, if, you, if this picture is going to be anywhere with, uh, with this podcast. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time stopping by the MeBet today. Thanks for having me, Erica. Thank you. I really enjoyed my conversation with Dan. We learned a lot today. Here are three takeaways. Challenges are a part of life and you learn a lot about yourself when you're going through them. You're stronger than you thought you were and you will get through it. The difference between a first time entrepreneur and an experienced one is self-awareness. People who have been kicked in the teeth and either failed or had mediocre success are more likely to succeed as long as they learn from their experiences. And gratitude is much more powerful than ambition because it puts you in a happier and calmer state, which allows you to stay grounded. That's it for today. Join us next week on the MeBet podcast with another amazing guest.